Beer 30 Live. Welcome back, everybody. It is Beer 30 Live. I'm Pete Wright, sitting here with uh, Jamie Whitley and Mary Bradbury Jones. And back, by popular demand, Shane Barboy Corsetti. Hello, Welcome everybody. Back. Welcome uh, thank back. Thank you. I, I want to yeah. thank my millions of fans out there for asking me to come back. I appreciate uh, that. Shane, I don't want to break this to you, but um, it was your mom that called. Hey, <laughs> hey, if she downloaded a million times, then that, yes, it doesn't yeah, matter. No, she carries yeah. millions of votes. Yeah, yeah once, and, and she said, please put him back on. We don't want him living with us anymore, Where's so anything you can do to get him out of the house is, is, is a great you know, service to them, so... We're you proud, to, well, we're proud to have Shane's mom as a listener. We're, we're <laughs> Shane's mom, to, wherever you are. She just right. figured yes, out the technology. And, so, yeah. and Jamie's mom, actually. Yo, right? my mom is a big fan. Yes, yeah, she is. Awesome. Yo, yo, Jamie's yeah. mom. Shout Hello, out to mom. Shout out to mom. <laughs> Mary, does your mom uh, listen? No, she doesn't. To, to no. have me walk her through iTunes, are you kidding? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Mean, can I, she still can't play a tape in her... VCR, let alone a DVD. Well, you are there. from Kansas, after all, right? I hey, mean, no. she saw his eight track in her car, doesn't she? No, we'll have that behind the times <laughs> back there. Eight track and a bottle of hooch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how do you <laughs> how do you down, think Mary came about? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Uh, you know, before we get into the news, introduce the guest that we have sitting at the table. This is, uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. We're sitting here with uh, Gary Mortensen. Uh, Gary's the president of the National Combat History Archive, uh, based here in Hillsboro, uh, Oregon, right? Beautiful Hillsboro. Beautiful Hillsboro. Gary, thank you for sitting down with us. Uh, uh, you know, you have, uh, I, I'd like to say, stumbled on uh, a, a fantastic archive of military history in, term of, in terms of just raw footage yeah that's true uh and so what we've we've brought gary here to talk about uh, you know a the how the philosophy of war has changed and how politics are affected by uh this just vast uh, library of of war footage in the media and and as a, a consummate expert on this stuff so we're, we're thrilled to have gary here and sitting at the round table and two round tables and um uh and so we'll we'll get into a little bit more depth here in a bit but um thank you Thanks for sitting down with Scary. Welcome to the show. Uh, we should start with the news. Headlines. Hot off the press. I thought this would be a good one to start with. Uh, herpes might cause Alzheimer's. <laughs> uh, We're in trouble. I resemble that remark. I, I just totally forgot what you just said. <laughs> I think I'm screwed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so uh, oh, no, be, really. be careful. No, I mean, scientists say it? that... I don't know. Some oh. study out of somewhere. It just it just says that uh, some health study out of somewhere. somewhere. And you give me trouble for not reading my Dude, headlines. You don't even read the articles. I, yeah. They have good headlines. Yeah, health SciTech. Uh, they've done some study that people who have uh, you know herpes tend to have uh, higher cases of Alzheimer's. So uh, I don't know. There you go. Interesting. I don't even know what to say about no. that. Do they even? Well, I mean, are they even? They because last week you bring this story about the cysts in steak that make uh, women, women sex kittens. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. This and is sort I, of an interesting epilogue to your sexually I, you know, transmitted diseases. I actually have been, look, I've been <laughs> yeah. looking that stuff up online, trying to find it in like pill form for my wife. I've been able to find it. Are so. you the scientist that you're referring to? Saying, <laughs> oh, I gave my wife this stuff, and it really made her look hot. And yeah. now, exactly. I, you know, I had the herp, and I. Forgot what and I said. I forgot my name so for about a half hour. I figured so. the two must go hand yeah, in hand. Yeah, it's exactly right. I uh, published that myself. Thank you for noticing. I have yeah. the herb. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, new yeah. buzzword. Elevating. You've uh, been lanced, and you have the you herb. You have the herb. 
Now you're really screwed it. when you've been Lance, oh, and God. then you have the herb. Her. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mary, what do you have for us? Um, Well, this is interesting. Toyota announced today that they are developing a new car or a detection system to go in cars that will basically detect drunk drivers. And once it detects that you're uh, under the influence, it will slowly slow down and come to a complete stop where you can't drive the car anymore. Pete stopped in the middle as of the freeway. <laughs> know, as opposed to iron gates shut down on all the windows. It, and it's like, that's not very obvious. <laughs> Four-lane four traffic, you're stopped in the middle. The whole 40-year-old virgin thing, <laughs> you know. She's just, here, blow on this. <laughs> versus a direct stop, oh, which oh, could that's really true. cause some accidents. Well, that's it might true. give you some time to pull that's true. How are they doing it? Yeah. What How it are really they needs is it needs this little billboard to come up on the back that says, drunk, yeah. drunk. Yeah. I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm drunk on board. flashing. I'm drunk, I'm drunk. How does it anyway. detect it, though? What is, how do they well, do Well, I talked about one is that there will be sweat sensors in the driving wheel that will detect high levels of alcohol. God, that sounds so um, gross. And then it also talks about, and I don't know if this is something that they're still working on, but it could detect abnormal steering, so get yeah. concerned with probably jerky steering. And then a special camera that shows the driver's pupils are not in focus. Wow. Dang. So. You know, my grandpa will never be able to drive. <laughs> You know, maybe that's the second use for this. Well, it might be. Drunks and old people. You know, actually, this is interesting. The the, uh, whole system that we're creating around smart technology in cars and highways in terms of what's the car that can park itself now? The Lexus. The The Lexus Lexus can parallel park itself. And, and pretty soon cars will start talking to each other so that when you're going down the freeway, you don't get too far away. Well, I thought it's there nice was that technology chilling. already being tested. Yeah, there is. We don't even have to drive cars. Absolutely, yeah. you don't. Yeah, Volkswagen has, has demonstrated, and I've seen some videos of cars driving all by themselves, so sensing, using cameras. Jump to that. Yeah, I, it's, it's cool. so minority report, you know. I mean, that's where I want to be. Well, that's exactly yeah. what it is. You get in a little pod, and you then you go the where you are. Yeah. Tell it where you want to yeah, I want to be the robot. That's what I want to be. Could we really call it the Jetsons? I prefer the Jetsons. Yeah. Minority Report. For you, Barboy, you got it. All right, cool. Yeah. We're in the Jetsons. What else we got? So. I don't know. What do you got for us, Pete? Yeah. I closed my laptop because you guys said all my news Dude, was it's because lame. you didn't have anything. That's why. Because I didn't read it. You didn't any bring articles. anything to the table. No, I did I did bring the uh, the one about the Best Buy clerk that called 911 because um, uh, a customer goes in with a defective Tony Bennett CD, buys the CD, goes out to his car, puts it in his CD player, and it shuts, shirts, it shuts it out. And it says, uh, and he goes back in three minutes later with his receipt. He says, I want my money back. And the Best Buy clerk says, there's a federal law that says we can't give you your money back. And so they, uh, the guy says, uh, screw you. So Best Buy calls 911. Has please come. <laughs> well, I no, think that says a true. lot about a Tony Bennett I know CD. that's not true, but that's, and that's exactly what his point was on yeah. this article was, I just get so sick of these stores making it up as they go along. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. But what do you, I want to know what the transcript of conversation, the 911 call was like. Yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> State your emergency. All right. This guy wants to give his Tony Bennett CD back. This guy called me a fool. We can't, I can't do give it. him his money back. Tony Bennett sucks. Well, it's not even like he went away for a couple days. No, he, he went away for three minutes. He bought it, right. went to his car, yeah. didn't work, walked back in. It's I know. I know. It's amazing. Big box retailer. Yeah. How about Pat Robertson predicts mass killing in 2007? On a happier note. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of Tony Bennett. So forget your New Year's resolutions, folks. Just live it up. Yeah. So somewhere toward, somewhere toward the latter part of the year, there's going to be mass killings in the United States. Now, didn't Pat Robertson predict like a big tsunami last year or something? You guys remember that? 
about that. Oh, here's what he says. Oh. Robert, he did predict a big tsunami in 2006, which never happened. Although he But it si- happened in 2005. Although he cited last spring's heavy rains and flooding in New England as partly fulfilling his predictions. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it rained, well, oh, it rained in Oregon. So, you know, it follows you know. on the, uh, the same, uh, same ilk, the survey re- recently released, that 25% of Americans believe Jesus will return in 2007. 25 percent. 25 percent. Like he doesn't come when he comes. Better things to do. Here's what I like, though, of a a quote of his. He goes, I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be nuclear. Uh, The Lord didn't say nuclear. But I do believe it'll be something like that. Oh, Pat. So now he's even, you know, putting words in God's mouth. How does this guy have the ear of anybody? You nuclear, know, it, nuclear. How, why do people still give that guy money and stuff? Oh. I mean, how does he have any credibility whatsoever? Uh, well, it's like Haggard, you know? I mean, this is the same guy in Denver who's who's got the, you know, the largest evangelical church. And he says, you know, and then he comes out as having some problems with liking boys. And well, meth. And, and meth. Well, there was that. Unbelievable but you know, nerve. The, well, and the quick thing to do is you ask for forgiveness. You repent. And you yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, and then the you're back in the saddle. Yeah. That's all you have to do, and the evangelicals will take you right back in. Okay. So repent. Stunning. Repent. I, yeah. What else? <laughs> what else Survey. Real-life desperate housewives have regrets about husbands. And this is pretty wild. This survey of women. For, How many women were surveyed? It's 3,000 women. Jamie's for, wife. From Women's Day magazine <laughs> and AOL. So you read oh, Women's Day magazine, no. right? Oh, Isn't that not one of the rags you read? No. That's the, no. All right. That's 3, the one you shun. 3,000 women. Yeah, exactly. The one. And and so they surveyed these women and check this out. There was something like two thirds or three quarters, I can't find it sitting here it looking was at it. What is it two thirds? Yeah, that earlier. regretted marrying their husbands and, yes, and wouldn't yes. do it again. But here's some other interesting things out of it. More than three quarters of women also said they fantasize about a man other than their own husband. Sluts. No, all I think I think oh, all women guys do that. Guys don't do that on other. No, 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 no. no. And thirty nine percent admitted to constantly flirting. You think that's true? Thirty nine percent. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's yeah, true. So, I think yeah. so. Yeah, Jamie, what do you guys think? Your wives, how do they rank in there? I am. I'm absolutely <laughs> sure that they're part of that. <laughs> I know she tells me all the time. <laughs> Pretend I'd rather be with somebody. Else. Pretend like you're George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm going to close my eyes, and now you're going to be hunky. That's what she says. Pretend right, you're Lance Bass. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, she totally falls into that. So, I think uh, maybe that has to do with the type of women that read women, women's day. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there you go. I don't know. What else do we have? Anything good? Um, well, this one I thought, this is just in the category of ironic. The House GOP. Yeah is now pushing for a minority bill of rights because they don't want to get treated like they treated the Democrats as the minority for the last... Oh, so they want a minority bill of rights for them. For them. Yes, yes. In fact, they thought that the proposal that Nancy Pelosi did in 2004... So that there was one in place. Yeah, suddenly now uh, that's now all that rosy. Seems like a great idea. Even though back then Danny Hassert didn't even have the, you know, didn't even have the time to even do a response to say why he wouldn't support oh, it. Oh, no. my. You know, I, I so, do yeah. have to admit, though, I've been pretty impressed with the Democrats. They're, they've got their 100-hour plan, and they're putting through certain bills, and they're very small bills. One bill, for example, is that 
all the corporate junkets that people take on planes and different things, that you can't do that. Another bill they're putting through is if you're going to put pork in a bill, you actually have to sign your name to it. I mean, before you could just put something in and then it would go through and nobody would know like yeah, where it come from and nobody would cough up to it. Or, and so, I mean, I think they've done some pretty good stuff with just real small, measurable, simple, these things make sense types of bills. That's, that's and, and big of you, Jamie. I'm impressed to hear you say that. You'll be on our side in no time. Yeah, I know that'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to give credit where credit is due. And I've always said that the Republicans screwed up their majority uh, royally over the last several years. And so the Democrats are doing it certainly more appropriately. Good for them. Good for them. Wow, what a positive note there, Dan. I saw a, I saw a funny uh, editorial cartoon. It was uh, Pelosi walking into, uh, this was, I think, in the New Yorker. Pelosi walks into the house, and it's got, you know, just trash, graffiti all over the walls and everything. And it says, uh, Nancy's new take on women's role in Congress, and her little thought bubble is, first, I have to clean the house. <laughs> <laughs> All she's got right. her work cut out for you. Oh, uh, she's she's I, she is going to have a, a tough road because I think she's going to get raked over the coals. You think a so? Bit. Mm-hmm. Why? She, Just because of, of she's a woman, she's or because a woman. she's a Democrat? First woman. It's the first woman. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about uh, Hillary Clinton and you know her her running? Is she going to get raked over the coals? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. She's, raked, she's raked over the coals twenty four seven. We guys heard about Barack Obama, though, right? Yes. About his new thing, too. Yeah, well, because does he have a new thing? Well, the, the cocaine thing? The admission smoking, that he, yeah. you know, smoked and did snort it. I mean, so he does the first I inhaled. No, that was the purpose. Because what do you do? Exactly. Well, and the great thing about that, too, is that people didn't discover that. He came out with it. Yeah. yeah. I, do you think that's I think better? Do you I think that's better? I do. I don't, you know, as a young voter, I think it's... I don't want to see this... Oh, come on. I mean, there's Shane here saying, God, I'm, I'm so voting for Barack. Voter. He snorted. Yeah. But But there's that... Just the honesty, the openness. Yeah. But you know, if we're going to start holding people for things they did in their 20s when they're running right. for positions in yeah. their 40 and 50, yeah. I mean, we're not going to have anybody eligible to run pretty soon. No, that's right. I uh, Did anybody Other see Edwards coming? Yeah. God help. Well, that's because they uh, just don't get busted. Did anybody see Edwards coming out speech? John Edwards, not coming oh, out no. speech. His when Lance? He, speech? he was Lance? <laughs> <laughs> when he, his, uh, his uh, announcement. No, no, it was uh-uh. it was really good. I, I uh, you know, I was uh, not the hugest fan of Edwards, but I was really impressed with with his candor and the way he he holds himself. And and I think just years and years of courtroom uh, practice yeah. makes him extremely comfortable in front mm-hmm. of a camera, in front of a lot of people. And it, and he's just a smart guy. He's I, too slick. I think, that's, think? I think that's his problem. He didn't he's wear a tie slick. during his announcement. Yeah. He was all earthy. Was he? I mean, yeah, he, he wore jeans. So slick. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, you've got to look at that guy. I mean, they, he, they lost a child. You know, his wife's yeah. battled breast cancer. I mean, he's yeah. had some pretty major things happen in his life that, you know, well, I, yeah. I think I mean, hopefully, you know, humbled him. And, I, and I see Edwards as a lot like Al Gore. And I tell you, if Al Gore <laughs> were running today, I would vote for him because he's a different, he's the guy I would want. In office right now today, Al I Gore? wouldn't have voted no. for him before. He blew it. He blew it. Yeah, he ran a horrible campaign. No, his campaign now is this inconvenient truth thing, and God, God love him. I hope, I hope he does yeah, good it's, things. What, it's and four I'm, years too late or whatever. I mean, that's you know, well, it's a different objective now. But yes. I would. I mean, I, I really have respected him. I've been watching. Well, him lots a lot. of people were saying we weren't seeing the real Al Gore yeah. in that election. Yeah. You know, Are we seeing the anyway. real President Bush? Right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You think that's his personality? 
Yeah. Yeah. The guy was a yell leader. Oh, right. Uh, Come on. Time now. to move on. All right. Okay. Well, that that does it for our, our oh, soap. We're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. We've got our producer here saying, okay. Am I right? shut yeah. your phone. All right. Uh, the explicit just tag it. just went explicit on. The tag is over. Yeah. So here's, okay. what we've, here's what we've got. Let's... <laughs> Let's talk about the issue of the hour, and the issue of the hour really belongs to Mr. Mortensen, uh, Gary, National Combat History Museum and Archive, <laughs> Museum, Archive, whatever. There's lots of rusty things in your office. Uh, and uh, and thecombatreport.com is your website, thecombatreport.com. Uh, let's talk about what you're doing over there. What, what did you find? How did you get into this business? Uh, I mean, you came from high tech. Yeah. Uh, high Shame tech. on you. Well, high tech is uh, sort of the uh, the diversion to a lifelong passion, which is history. History, it really has been, and yeah, you have to throw in running a winery and high tech startup and all these things that have nothing to do with history. But wow, yeah. Renaissance cool. man! Did, did no, you that's do, cool. Were you a history major or anything in college? Yeah, I was political science with a minor in history, but it was you know, all my whole life. It was I, as a baby boomer, we kind of grew up on the World War II thing. With, you know, were you uh, rap patrol. Family in the war. My dad was a combat MP who was fortunate enough not to have to go to Korea. Uh-huh. His battalion shipped out. He got to stay home and play baseball. And only three guys made it back because they went over and, and the combat MPs hold the line when the uh, the army retreats. They they hold the line and they got hit by the Chinese and so only three guys made it back. So that oh was, my god! So I'm I'm happy wow. to be here. Thanks yeah. for yeah. playing yeah. baseball. Yeah. But um, we found this library. Um, the idea was to, to take film and photographs and memoirs and aggregate them together into something meaningful that could be shared with a lot of folks. And to start that off, we found a library that was for sale. And it was, as we understand it, it's the largest privately held library outside of the National Archives. So it's a huge library of film footage. It was about 3,000 hours. And it was a gentleman by the name of Ferdy Grofay, Jr., who was uh, a B-movie director. If there's levels of B-movies, um, this would be definitely on the lower end of the B-movie. They call them circles of B-movies, actually. Yes. B-movies that never even get out of the box. Yeah. 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 Now, where was he? He was, he was up here, right? He was, well, he was an L.A. guy, oh, and then he's, he's lived all over. But um, uh, he makes uh, Roger Corman look like Fellini, let's put it this way. So. <laughs> Uh, but he, he was making, he uh, in the 40s and 50s, what he decided to do was go around. He had the same interest that, that we did, which was a passion for military footage and things like that. So he went around to all the military bases and would find any extra footage that they had, training films, anything that they had. And he started aggregating that into a collection. And by the late 70s, he had about 3,000 hours of combat footage. And some really, really obscure, interesting things uh, that the Marines had done, or the Air Force had done. The like Army what? Done. Can you give us some examples? I'll give you one. Is there's a little 18-minute film called Glamour Gal, which is somewhat innocuous sounding, but it's actually about an artillery battery that deployed on Iwo Jima, and it was shot by the Marines. It's in color, and it's just really this cool kind of story of the crew and their gun, and they're on Camp Tarawa in Hawaii in 1944, and then they deploy to Iwo Jima. And you see them firing away, this cannon firing away at Mount Suribachi. And it's just footage that you've, we've never seen before. So there's a lot of those kinds of things. And then there's some really neat uh, productions that were done like by the Air Force, um, like on the German ME-262 where they went out and interviewed Chuck Yeager and they interviewed Adolf Galland who test flew the pilot, uh, was a test pilot and actually flew it in combat. 
actually argued with Hitler about the use of it, and so he's on camera talking about it. So it's kind of neat to be able to see these guys and, and hear them in their words talk about that because I think that's what happens a lot of times with history is that as we get farther away from things, it, it sort of takes on its own life, its own version of what is or what was. And when you listen to these guys in their own words, it's really interesting. And so we've been able to preserve a lot of that. So did you have something? Am I well, no, I just want to make sure I understand. So you have 3,000 hours of footage that you're digitizing then, and, and are you putting it on the web? And we actually have 4,000 hours 4, now. 4,000 hours. Okay. Yeah, because what we've done is uh, we've added to that, and it's growing daily now. So we've got... So where are you getting additional footage from? From veterans and from uh, a lot of current soldiers right now who are sending us their footage from Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And it's really... It's interesting if you think about World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the Civil War. Even the pen was really the, your your way of communicating home as to what was happening. And a lot of the footage that you saw was prepared by cameramen who were working for the army. And that next layer down was people talking about their emotions or what they saw, and putting that into a level of communications that was written by a, written by them and sent out, and it would be received months later. In today's world, what you've got is digital media where you've got cell phones and you've got digital cameras that are being made right into, uh, they're, they're finding their way right into action. And people are Velcroing to the sides of their helmets. And as they see things happen, they go right into battle. They, they record what they see. They download it, upload it that night. And uh, your, you know, your friends and family can be seeing what they saw in almost real time now. Well, that really gets to the, to the transition that I'm, I'm most interested in as a, as a media hound is this idea that, you know, from Vietnam, you have the, you know, all the war footage that we saw was from, you know, either renegade stringer reporters that happened to find a jump ship in country or produced by the military. And as you move forward, even, even as recent as Desert Storm, uh, when you have embedded reporters and it's all sort of the media outlets and now the soldier as journalist I, you know I, I'm interested in your uh, perspective on how that changes the nature of war and the nature of our perspective of war I mean you've seen a lot of really horrifying stuff just in in your searches here so. if you take uh, if you look at just the first Gulf War and, and the current conflict the first Gulf War was heavily censured and there is very little footage out there that, that is available it's, a lot of it was shot by CNN or the military but it's Compared to Vietnam, compared to World War II, it's minuscule. There's just very little there. When you look at what's out there now and with the phenomenon of YouTube and MySpace and some of these these sites where people, and the bloggers, the mill bloggers as they're known, where people can go in and have their own opinion and post their own footage, in which there's about twenty five to 30,000 mill blogs out there now. Are they aggregated in one place where people can? No, well, there's, there's really not. There's a couple of sites where you can go where they'll list like the top 100. Right which are neat, but there's no central aggregation of those. They have their own mill blog conventions now. Are there, uh, are there blogs available from your site, the Combat Report? I mean, does that link to other blogs and stuff? Or Not yet, no. Blog? It's, really, it's, it's really right now. Is, is what we're trying to do is report the news, okay. um, and we're using a lot of expertise to talk about. With the Combat Report, it really is uh, helping to interpret what we believe is happening from a historical perspective because today's military news is tomorrow's military history. 
And that's the way we're really trying to present either our analysis or the way we present the news is if you take the Saddam hanging, it's, it's how does this factor into this long string of events that makes up history. Is, and the Saddam hanging is a, is a prime example of this new media and somebody using a cell phone to, to take pictures that, that really paints a different picture than the government put out when they first put their footage out. Everything was all nice and neat, and he went up there, and you know they cut it off. And when you look at it from the raw footage, it's what about all the chanting, and what about all these things that we didn't have a chance to see? And, and it, it changes your perspective right. totally about what's really going on. It's amazing how much of a difference sound makes. Because yeah, what absolutely. you have are these guys basically saying, you know, chanting uh, Matak al Sadr's name. Right. Which the great Shia cleric mm-hmm. in their minds, who is the arch nemesis of Saddam Hussein, and here he is going to his death, and they're shouting his name. And if you want to talk about ways to inflame the current situation over right. there, that's a great way to do it. Well, I was talking to Mustafavi today, who's our, our Iran expert about this, and he had a couple comments. He says, one, that the verse that they read out of the Quran was actually the Shia or the Shia version of the verse, not not the um, the, Sunni. Uh, the Sunni version as well. And then he said the, his other concern was now that the Sunnis have seen this raw footage, is do then people who are sitting on the sideline join? Because then they say, well, wait a second, we're all pissed off about how you've treated this guy, and so then they all start joining in, so that I- instead of making things better, it actually well, makes things worse. That's really it. I mean, it begs the question: What does the death of Saddam Hussein accomplish right now at this point? in political and military history. What does that accomplish? Does anybody want to take a stab at that question? Well, I, I think it satisfies uh, a certain segment of Iran and Iraq who are very, very obviously upset at the years and years of, of his rule and, and, and the war on Iran and those sorts of things. So you come at it from that point of view, you're, of course you're going to say you're a Shia and he's done this to you or to your family or killed your brother or whatever, and so it's revenge. And I think it's plain and simple. What does it do, though, long-term? I don't know if that makes a difference. Hmm. I mean, it kind of goes back to the, the discussion of more people have died since he was captured than before. Well, I, I, <laughs> people would probably beg to differ if you look at the war with Iran. I mean, I mean how many, what, a million people died? I mean, I, I don't think we've even come close to those numbers. My guess is that, but that I don't think there's going to be a group of people that all of a sudden now are at peace and... Okay, yeah, I don't, okay I don't with know. everything. Now that, that was that's the bill. Of, that was the bill of sale. So it's, it's, it's too many years of, of history. It's not just just that his, the one act that he was persecuted for, too. Well, and a lot of this has to do with the, the validity of the Maliki government now, and and this yes. elected. And doesn't body. he want to quit or something? Well, he's he's come out and said that now, and I think that may be some serious backpedaling in, in the wake of what's happened. But yeah, that doesn't make to, it sound real strong, does it? I mean, to say, well, I'm just here because I have to. And, Actually, I, mean, I, would, yeah. I don't want this job. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty well-known fact that Maliki got into office basically on the blessing of uh, El Sadr. And so right. you've got, what you've got is a Shia government, which is, the, which is the majority there, but you have it is still the minority in the greater Arab world. You've got right. primarily Sunnis out there. Right. So this is a bit of an anomaly in Iraq. And so it becomes a very interesting scenario. We'd, we'd written that the best way to solve this is for Maliki to go now and, and put down El Sadr to show that there was parity here, that there was really an attempt to come down if, if they were going to do away with Saddam Hussein, then they should also do away with El Sadr. And then come in and say, now let's deal with the moderates. Right. No. There's also some, some unsubstantiated reports that uh, Grand Ayatollah Sistani, who is the Grand Ayatollah of Iraq, uh, is ill. 
and if he dies, if something happens to there, what happens then? And so there's a lot of scenarios in place. The uh, and, and I assume you're hearing a lot from soldiers who are on the ground in, in Iraq. Is that is we that are. right? And so what? Kind of give us an idea of how our soldiers are feeling. I mean, we we don't get a lot of that. I mean, their their mental state, the challenges, and, the and what's driving political them to strap challenges. cameras to their, to yeah, their helmets and exactly. record. I mean, yeah. there's something motivating them to do that. We're producing a DVD right now on the Oregon two one six two. It's the uh, two of one six two hundred sixty second Infantry Division, Second Battalion, and these are these are Oregon kids that uh, have gone in. They didn't join, primarily they didn't join post-9-11. They were in the National Guard. And it's an impressive group of Oregonians. They're really, really neat guys. Um, John Brunning, who's a local author, has written a book called The Devil's Sandbox uh, on their experience. And we are putting that same experience into uh, onto a high-definition film. And it's it, when you talk to these folks, you get their level of commitment to each other. If you've ever seen Band of Brothers, there's no real difference there's 60 years of age between them, but the shared experience that they have going in is remarkable. And the fact that these people will be together for the rest of their lives is undeniable. And hasn't, and hasn't the Oregon National Guard taken, like, one of the biggest hits of, na- of National Guards? That's absolutely right. They've been, uh, we're, we are going to uh, shoot eight folks for our DVD project, and seven of the eight were wounded. Just to give you an example. And they got these assignments because they're that good. I mean, they're really an outstanding group of individuals. And whether or not you're for or against the war, you've got to be pro-troop because you meet these guys and they're just the greatest group of people. And I think that's where it becomes for us a challenge is we want to get out of the way of the story and just let them tell their story because it's really a group of committed professionals that have gone in. They didn't ask for this war, but they've gone into this war. And they've done the very best they can into a very difficult asymmetrical warfare, which is... It's a 360-degree threat environment. There aren't Germans and Japanese that are led by field marshals, and there's you know gray and green and these things. These are people that you just don't know who your enemy is, and these, you know, most of the casualties are being taken either by the uh, improvised explosive devices or by snipers. So it's, there's there's no big set battle lines like there's been in the past. But to answer your question, Pete, how how this is? Imagine what would happen if the digital media had existed during the Normandy invasion. Or oh, yeah. during the Battle of Gettysburg, yeah. right. how, would, how would we perceive those things, right. those battles, differently if we'd been able to see it from their perspective? And I think that's what's so interesting. As a military historian or even as anyone interested in human conflict, to be able to see these and, ha- and put a context into them. So the, these are our ordinary soldiers out, and they're in a battle. That's never really been captured before in history. And so it's a really interesting study for all of us to look at. And... If you go onto YouTube, you'll see some where they've got the rock music and they're sort of glorifying it. But when you take away that and you just get get it down to the pure form of what you're you're seeing through their eyes, it becomes very compelling. I uh, I was really moved. I, we you had an opportunity to share with me a, a clip that you had done on some of the uh, the mill bloggers who are out there sharing their stories, and I was really moved by it. I'm interested. Um, Given what you've seen and, and the changing face of the, of the footage that's coming in, do you feel that it's changed you and how you perceive the war personally? Without I, I actually say this. In, in, I, I walked into your office yesterday, and there's a bumper sticker on your door. Can you tell us what that says, or did somebody else put that there? Uh, about the Marine Corps? About uh, other than, uh, I think it's, what is it? Other war than... never solved, uh, or fighting never solved. Um, 
anything but slavery and uh, ending yeah, slavery it, and ending all these things. Um, that's that's sort of the idea. Is that sometimes war is necessary, and is war necessary you know, with the current conflict in Iraq? It's hard to say at this point. It, we're we're in the middle of it. Um, you can argue both sides of it. So it's it, you know it depends on where you come from. For me personally, uh, I'm so pro-troop that it, it's difficult to know that we're losing guys. But at the same time, if you put it in the context of all of our past historical battles and wars, conflicts, this is a very low number of folks that we've lost. You have to come out and say, why are we really there? There's a lot of reasons why they're there. Some are we talk about openly, some we don't talk about openly. Uh, are we there for oil? I don't know. But that country right now, it's whatever we went in for, that country is out of control. Mm-hmm. We're surging troops in there, hopefully to help to put down guys like Zell Sadr and to put the barricades back up and to contain him so that we can get some stability and, and hopefully preserve the government. Because we are talking about putting in more troops, right? President right. Bush is talking about 25,000 20 to 30,000 more. Right. Now, why is that? Aren't we, in a, aren't we in a changing tide of, of the war? Political sentiment is wildly uh, turning well, sort of anti, pro-troop, anti-war. Are, don't well, the Dems want us out? You've had, well, I, I think where there's a lot of um, issue right now is that the American people feel like they sent a loud message November 7th, which was, we're tired of this and we want something to be done about it. Um, and it sounds like, really, in some cases, he's just telling us all to, you know... Well, what's Stick the purpose? Our ear, because well, he's going to do it his way, regardless. I mean, what's I think the that's purpose one of, the of adding the new troops, though? I mean, Gary, you would know better than the rest of us. What? Why would we add to more troops? To stabilize, I mean, but, but how? I mean, that's what. But, well, but that's a plan. <clears throat> yeah, it's a plan. But I'm like, how? <laughs> well, do uh, we have I, I a choice? You're asking more of your Pentagon. How? Part part of it is uh, the comparisons to Vietnam are somewhat not not really appropriate. If you look at Vietnam, there was never a battle lost in Vietnam. You know why did we why did we lose Vietnam because the people got tired at home of it. That's one of the right. primary reasons. It was a long war that wasn't prosecuted to the way to the extent that we prosecuted, let's say, World War II. Sure, we could have bombed Hanoi into oblivion, and then what could have happened? It's hard to say. Would it have drawn in the Russians and the Chinese? We'll never know. Right. There isn't anything to bomb in Iraq. There isn't Hanoi. It's it's asymmetrical. It is it is a religious showdown mm-hmm. between the Sunnis and the Shias. And a well, whole something that's existed for thousands of years. And, and revenge. One of the things that Mike Musasavi has, has told me as well is that revenge is something that is a right in Iraq, but it also is something that can be bartered. And so, how does that work? Well, and I'm just going to recite what yeah. I was told. But as an example, they. Some of some of the imams have come and said, "We'll we'll stop some of this violence if you agree to giving us a date for your pullout." And Western culture and Arab culture don't understand each other, and so those are some of the miscues. So we see it only as revenge, but they see it as an opportunity. Oh, to that's make a very deal. good point. I mean, it's like uh, talking about maybe where we accidentally kill a civilian, and, and so we give you money as as part of that payback, and it and you know there's a different culture than we're used. Sure. I mean, here you would get sued and, you know, go through all the courts and all that kind of stuff. But Exactly. So what is well, the exit strategy? So we put 20,000 more, you know, troops on the ground is the idea to... Well, I guess here would be a question I would throw out. And, and I'd be particularly interested in, in Gary's views. We're talking with Gary Mortensen from the National Combat History Archive, thecombatreport.com. Um, 
And now that I've done my plug, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> you had this great question. That was such an awesome I transition. Know. I know. Oh, Mary. Um, you were very good at that. It's like, oh, that was smooth. No, I'm yeah. screwed. Yeah. Anyway, but I do have another question. It's, it's not going to segue well. Um, I, I, what, I, what I wonder is how does the Pentagon feel about these military blogs? This is a good question. Well, they'd like to suppress them. In fact, Australia has just done that. The Australian military no. has come down and said, oh, that's enough of that. Okay. What so, about, and probably video is the same way. Absolutely. Right? But how can you, you can't really stop it. I mean, well, I mean, that's the issue. I mean, the article just came out a couple of weeks ago about how the Department of Defense is, is trolling YouTube and, and enlisting the help of YouTube and all the video sites to get rid of that stuff, right? I mean, that's correct. And how do we know they're not punishing the people that are doing it? You mean like a la Guantanamo punishing? Or? Well, or like, what? oh, here's another tour back to yeah. Iraq. You just got called up. I mean, well, that goes back to the question that we didn't really address, which is what compels somebody to strap a video camera onto their helmet and, and want to do this? Oh, I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Um, some of these folks do it because they enjoy sharing the videos with each other. They, they become almost a, a commodity to trade with each other. I've got this cool thing of this blowing up. I think others are truly interested in, in preserving their experience. Documenting it, yeah. Wow. And, and so you get the mix. You really do. You see, again, you see these really nice productions that were done on their iMacs. And uh, they've got the, the music to it. And it's just kick-ass, I guess. www.apple.com. Yeah. And then, the, and then other ones are really very thoughtful. Um, there's, there's a guy right here in Salem who's doing one on the humanitarian mission because he doesn't feel like there's any attention being given on the fact that 1,100 schools have been rebuilt in Iraq. And oh, so he's yeah. talking about the yes. shoes and, the, and just the basic goods that the soldiers have provided. Well, and, and I think the other issue, sort of the third one that really strikes me, is that soldiers are enormously political people. Absolutely. They all have a stance. And yeah. no more are we, we in an era where we can imagine these as just sort of the mindless tools of the Defense Department. These guys are real human beings, and that's what this footage shows us, is that they're real, they have skin in the game, mm-hmm. and, and they have a political stance. Well, we talk line. about putting a face on the war, and mm-hmm. that's what it does. So then you're able to see the stories and hear the real life and say, it's not the stale bad guy versus good guy, which is a lot of time the government wants us to you know, believe. Mm-hmm. The axis of evil. I mean, there's, there's nothing behind that, but if you really look at it, there's people, real people, families, stories. They care about and the same things you care absolutely. about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they're not different. And when you think about the 3,000 with the name in the face, it it becomes almost the question is, can you bear to go to war? Yes. You know, yeah. you look at a half a million dead, essentially, uh, in the Civil War, quarter million dead from World War II. You think about that, and, you know, 3,000 now, it's, it, but we've, we, we know them more intimately. Right. That's, and, and well, so, that's really the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of it. That's part of the this social change that has been brought about by this new media. Not that not that war isn't necessary. It just maybe you look at it differently. You do. Yeah. Well, and isn't it always supposed to be the last resort? Yes, it is. So um, I remember what my question was, though. Oh, good. And and so interested in the in the whole group's thoughts. But what do we think about these military contractors? These folks that are in there, that you know, with Blackwell and some of these different companies, they're getting. You're bringing up the Halliburton thing. They're getting paid way more than our soldiers. You knew it was coming, didn't you? Yeah. To do the same thing. I mean, now we're finding out that. I think over half of those folks involved in Abu Ghraib prison were military contractors. You don't see them with cameras strapped to their helmets. Exactly. 
nor do we see them going down for what happened. Well, we see innocent soldiers, in my opinion, going down for that. So, and, and what do our soldiers on the ground think about that? Yeah. Well, mercenaries have always been a fact of life and war. Mm-hmm. They've always been un- somewhat unwelcome bedfellows. You know, hired guns, if you would. Uh, a lot of these guys are ex-military. But then you get a lot of the wannabes, and those are the, probably the most dangerous elements. That's when things get out of control, a lot of times it's those kinds of folks. The corporate wannabes that now are making better money and full benefits. Well, yeah, they're probably doing it for money. They're doing it. Money, money and, the, and, and, the, and the action. I mean, just to And you look on the other side. Up. Uh, but it, it's also the same on the other side of this, where you have an insurgency that is a for-profit sort of organization that is also coming in. We wrote a piece about Juba the Sniper who was a, uh, a foreign national. And what they do now is, is I don't know if you were, were following the CNN controversy a couple months ago where they were talking about the um, showing the sniper footage, that showing American soldiers getting shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what these guys are doing is we have a, a sniper, a U.S. sniper, who sends us emails every other day, kind of his assessment of what's going on in Baghdad. And we were talking about the sniper threat, kind of equating it to Stalingrad, where there was a big sniper battle that took place. And we were, we were talking about that, and he said, this Juba the Sniper, they're not even sure he exists in, other than in name. But it, it's, a, it's a cadre of mercenaries that are out there right now, and what they're doing is they're shooting Americans purely for money, and they're recording it to prove that they've shot these guys. And that's the only reason they're doing it. They get $5,000 a head, as ghoulish as that sounds. That is oh, my goodness. And then they turn yeah. it into the... They turn it into the Whoever it is they turn it into, they turn that into a, a little DVD that they hand out to all the neighbors to say... As their own promotional piece. Exactly. And so mercenaries exist on both sides of the fence, and they're a, you know, a pariah upon you know, all of us, I think. We have been sitting here with Gary Mortensen, uh, president of the National Combat History Archive and uh, editorial columnist and manager, owner of thecombatreport.com. Check out thecombatreport.com. It's got some some uh, uh, great perspective on what's going on uh, in the war right now uh, and, and a lot of wonderful st- historical stuff. I love the sort of pic- picture from history down there on the left. That's a fantastic. And there's a really, that in- the piece by Bill Spear that he's doing, that's the first of three, right? Four, I think he's, I think okay. he's told us he's going to do a fourth piece anyway, now. I, Which one was I this? enjoyed reading that today. He, Bill Spear, he's giving a whole perspective on kind of the history of the Middle East and and anyway, it was, mm-hmm. it's worth it's, worth it's very cool. I actually yeah. uh, I, I had never been to the site before today, and I had a fantastic time just reading stuff. And I actually commented a couple of blogs as well. It's very cool, beautiful. So, yes, good stuff. Uh, Gary, thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Here's a toast to Gary Morton. Yes. Thank, so thank you, you for wrapping up the show with us. Uh, we sure for remember our World War II veterans. We're losing them at 1,500 or so a day now. If you know of any, if you've got uncles, grandfathers, folks yeah. that were in the war, tell them thanks. Um, that's what we're trying to do is collect their memories so that those aren't lost into history. If you're looking for something to do with those things, send them your way. Send them our way. We, we'll preserve their history. How do we uh, get a hold of you? Uh, you can contact us through the, uh, the combat report. Okay. And that's, that's uh, probably so the that's best, the best way. way to get it. There's a little uh, contact us form somewhere there. Absolutely. All right. Easy enough. Combatreport.com. Uh, Gary Mortensen, thank you so much. Thanks for Folks, having me. Thank uh, you, Gary. Very we, good. What else do we have to talk about? Anything else that we need to talk about for uh, 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 next Shame. week? Shame. 
I, got I just lost our guy. We just oh. lost him. Oh, man. We were going to talk to our... Uh, yeah. You know, we've, we, the one thing we haven't said all night, which is uh, we've been sitting here at the uh, Bighorn Brewery, the Ram in Lake Oswego, as ever. Thanks to everyone here that has helped us. I had a whole army of staff here helping me try to get power to our uh, our little setup they in the corner here. They treat us great here. They great. Yeah, and they are sense. awesome. Uh, they, they look out for us. They look for food us every is good. week. The food is good. Every, Drinks are good. You're not eating, which makes me a little no, nervous. I'm not eating. James yeah. fasting. Yeah, I'm on the 40-day Jesus fast. Ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, we'd love if you would uh, <laughs> leave us some comments, too, at uh, www.beer30live. That's beer30live.com as well. And where can people email us, Shane? At, uh, uh, at our names, at, at, at Pete at beer30live.com or Jamie or Mary or Shane. We have one other email address, the show, the show. at Beer 30 Live. That's that goes right. to all of us. And, uh, uh, Mary's and, uh, proposals with pictures go to me. Only go to Jamie. Yes. Please, only to Jamie. <laughs> Subscribe to the show. We need your subscriptions. Yes, go into iTunes, search do. for us, Beer 30 Live, and order swag. We've got our cool Beer 30 Live t-shirts. Shirts are good. Shirts go are order good. them. And if you have any requests for other products you, you would like to Still order. Still breaking it in. Yeah, as the 90. <laughs> Still breaking it in. <laughs> it's in the 90 drawer. Just the t-shirt, though. <laughs> it needs to be worn. It looks worn. It's right. Anyway. It's sitting on the floor when it gets up. you got to have some fray on it. <laughs> All right, everybody. This has uh, been Beer 30 Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we're out. Bye.